0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So, as you may have noticed, there are a lot of conspiracy theories going around right now. Maybe some of them seem plausible to you. Of course, if they do, that's just because that's what they want you to believe. Or maybe you don't. But did it ever occur to you that maybe you don't believe in conspiracy theories because they don't want you to know what they're up to? Now, you can take this sort of thing in all kinds of silly directions. It's embarrassing when people who ought to know better do that. But I think maybe we ought to be more generous. After all, how much of our entertainment is based on the idea that there's some deep secret that the hero has to figure out, some mystical path she has to discover and negotiate her way through at great peril? Often there's a host of well-armed enemies, all of whom happen to be terrible shots. There's something in us that loves the idea that there's a secret to be discovered, a puzzle to be worked out, even more so if you add in the idea that someone is malevolently trying to hide it from us. Now, this notion is one you find in a host of religions through the ages. In the early church, you had various forms of Gnosticism, which taught that you had to transcend the grubby realities of the world we know by entering into a different form of spiritual existence. In order to have this change of consciousness, you needed a guide, someone who knew the way, often someone who knew the right passwords, who could get you in touch with various heavenly beings who would, like Rumpelstiltskin, grudgingly give you something they had if you knew their special name Today, Scientologists will tell you that they have a special understanding of how an alien species is messing with your mind, and that they can teach you how to clear these unwanted menaces by taking ever more expensive courses that claim to give you the secret knowledge that you need to be liberated. But this, my friends, is not how God works. God does not hold back from us. God does not hide secret knowledge from us. God does not leave us to do impossible things by dint of our own toughness and cleverness. The fact is what our texts tell us today is that the reason Jesus can tell us that His yoke is easy and His burden light is that God does the hard part. Take the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. You'll remember from last week that Jesus had just fed 5,000 men. Father Ron pointed out that this story is so important that all four of the Gospels tell it. Some of them even tell about other times that Jesus did the same thing. Well, three of the four Gospels tell the story of Jesus walking on the water, but only Matthew tells us the bit about Peter. And I always thought Peter's response to Jesus was strange. I won't really believe it's you, Jesus, unless you… Tell me to walk out to you. If you think about it, someone who was pretending to be Jesus could have told Peter to walk on the water and then laughed at him as he went splash. But Jesus says, come. And Peter does. What does Peter have to do? Walk. That's it. Yeah, he's walking on water, but presumably that's only because Jesus made it possible for Peter to walk on water. And yes, I've heard the joke where there's a sandbar on one side of the boat, but not the other one. Folks, there are no sandbars miles from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The water's some 50 feet deep there. Now, Jesus makes it possible for Peter to do the very impossible thing that Jesus is also doing. And then, when Peter's faith fails, Jesus saves him. Walking on water? That's hard. Enabling someone else to walk on water, that's hard too. Saving someone from drowning while you're standing on top of the water, that's extra hard. But Jesus does the hard part. Likewise, in the Romans passage, Paul is talking about how graciously God shares his Torah, his law, with his people. He quotes Moses as he's talking to the people just before they enter the promised land Look, Moses says, I'm not giving you some mysterious treasure map. You don't have to read every sixth word backwards. There's no invisible ink you have to read by the light of the waning moon on the solstice. Its plain meaning is not at all beyond your comprehension. You don't have to pay anybody big money to tell you the special secret meaning of it. God put it right in front of you so that you can have it literally attached to your body. And if you memorize it, no one can take it away from you. Now, elsewhere in Romans, Paul talks about the maddening fact that in spite of how available God has made His Word to us, nobody other than Jesus managed to follow Torah perfectly. But right here, the point he's making is that God is not hiding anything from anybody. He's not holding anything back. He's not making anybody run obstacle courses or chant spells in the right order or find their way through mazes. No, Paul says if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, Paul, and what else? Nothing. That's it. Confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. You do that, you'll be saved. Unless there be any mistake, Paul is not saying that doing these things, confessing and believing, is some sort of accomplishment, something any of us could point to and say, hey, look what I did so that God would have to save me. No, it's all about what Jesus did, not what you did. Jesus did the hard part by dying. The Spirit did the hard part by raising Jesus from the dead. The hard parts have been done by God. All you have to do is call upon His name. Now this is lousy news if you're in the religion business. If you make your living telling people that there's some secret path to salvation they need to pay you to find their way down it, then the last thing you want is for God to fling a door wide open when you claim you're the only one who knows how to pick the lock. This is also lousy news if you want God's grace to only be for a select few, the ones with the right breeding or the right education or the right politics or the right bumper stickers on their car the people who shop at the right stores and know they're supposed to boycott the wrong ones. But if God's grace is for everybody, that means He's letting in all the riffraff. See, if you order a club sandwich at a country club, you get the exact same sandwich you get if you order it at a diner. Same turkey, ham, bacon, mayonnaise, white toast, three slices of it, same sandwich. But if you order it at the country club, you get to eat next to the sort of people who can also afford to eat it at the country club. More specifically, you don't have to eat it next to the people who can't. But God has absolutely no interest in keeping his operation a respectable one. He tells anyone who asks, come on in. While this is terrible news for elitists, it's wonderful news for the rest of us. Myself, I've been a guest at a country club a few times. I spent a summer working at one as a caddy, but I couldn't afford a membership. If God were selective, I wouldn't be selected. I've had the chance to study at some very special institutions, including our church's oldest seminary. But spending time at places like that will teach you very quickly that there are a lot of people smarter than you. And if being smart enough is what gets you saved, I'm not going to make the cut. Again, if God were selective, I would not be selected. But thanks be to God, He throws wide His arms of welcome. He's done all the hard stuff. All we have to do is come. And that's what happens when we celebrate the Eucharist. The Lord invites us to His table, and we come. He's done all the hard stuff necessary for us to come. He's made us in His image. He's died an atoning death for our sins. He's washed us clean in baptism and filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's removed every impediment. He's cleared the way for us to come to Him. All we have to do is come. As the psalmist says, he's speaking peace to his faithful people and to those who turn their hearts to him. Truly, his salvation is very near to those who fear him. He has done the hard part. All we have to do is come. Amen.